Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lessons from the Top, a podcast that aims to inspire and educate the next generation through the experiences and knowledge of successful people in a wide range of fields. Today, we have with us the Canadian businesswoman Caroline Kotze. Ms. Kotze founded and has been the president of the nonprofit organization La Gouvernance au Féminin since 2010, with the aim of supporting women's access to decision making positions in seats on boards of directors, as well as promoting gender parity. Ms. Kotze is recognized in Canada and internationally, having been listed in the Women's Executive Network's Top 100 Most Powerful Women in Business in Canada and winning the, and winning the Leader of the Decade for Diversity and Inclusion Award at the Women Economy Forum in New Delhi in 2018. Despite facing numerous challenges in her formative years, Ms. Kotze has emerged as a formidable champion for women in the corporate world, and her contributions are internationally respected. Thank you for, be- for being here with us today, uh, Ms. Kotze. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, first off, how are you doing today? Wonderful. I'm so excited to be here with you today. So, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? What projects are you working on? What occupies your time as of late? Sure. So, let me give you a bit of background. I think that might be helpful in terms of what, you know, when we talk about obstacles I have had to overcome, I think it would be useful for the people listening to us to better understand what these mean and where they come from. So I, I was born in Beirut and I grew up through the Lebanese Civil War. Um, the, the war spanned over 15 years and these were very formative years for me. You can recognize from age seven to age 22, you can imagine uh, how important it is uh, to have as stable a life as, as, as one can hope. But of course, when you go through a civil war, you go through the unknown, you go through fear, you go through stories of courage, and you go through resilience. And I uh, truly believe that this, these formative years have actually allowed me to be the leader that I am today. And uh, 25 years after arriving in this country, in Canada, was exactly when I was nominated among the top 100 most powerful women in Canada. So I think this is a, you know, was nice symbol for me to to be able to finally say, okay, what I have been doing all this time has had an impact, has been recognized, and I think this is going to open more doors. And it actually did. And ever since I've been uh, working hard with my team to ensure that we have gender equality uh, at every level, in every sector, uh, in both Canada and the U.S. through our, you know, the organization I founded in 2010, which is Women in Governance, uh, in French, La Gouvernance au Féminin. And um, what occupies me these days, uh, the list would be rather long, but let me tell you in, in a few words, while well, there's 15 employees full-time at Women in Governance, I also have co-founded another organization called Synclusive, and Synclusive offers uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, strategic pl- uh, planning, and um, a lot of uh, uh, different workshops on unconscious bias, on supporting members of underrepresented groups uh, to advance their careers and, and thrive. And so uh, not only the women, all underrepresented groups uh, uh, here in Canada. So that's what's uh, been occupying me these days. Amazing. Um, yeah, I think that's super inspiring. Um, you know, so you, you, you've had a, a really tough upbringing. And how, how do you think, um, you know, your mindset growing up, how do you think that led to the creation of La Gouvernance au Féminin? Like, like the way you saw the world and the way you thought you saw you could make change, how did that lead to La Gouvernance au Féminin? Well, to be honest with you, George, I did not at the time expect that it would become 
an organization of this magnitude. I did not expect that we would have the level of impact that we have today because at the onset, it was really through, you know, my childhood and my teenage years and and probably some built up anger of what I had seen and all the injustices that mm-hmm. I was fighting. And uh, obviously as a Lebanese, but also as a woman, as a young woman, and my hopes for equality were quite, you know, to, to took a lot of headspace. I really wanted to uh, live in a society that was going to give equal opportunity to women and to men. And when I moved here uh, to Canada, I really expected to find equality at every level and, and in every sector. And I very quickly uh, realized that it was not the case. And I think the fact that my upbringing led me to believe that in the Western world, things were so advanced and women had the exact same rights and, 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 and possibilities as men, I really, you know, advanced my career very quickly. I got into uh, senior director, vice president, executive vice president roles. I was reporting to an all male pale stale board and realizing that very few women had made it to the levels that I had been fortunate enough to, to reach. And taking the time to reflect on what had happened, well, how come the women who had graduated at the same time as me had not made it to that level, I realized that probably the, how can I put it, the determination that the war gave me, the desire to actually bring about change uh, set me apart and, and made it in central part of who I was as an individual, wanting to change things, wanting to positively impact the society I was living in and believing in it and just doing it, doing it. And doing things that, quite frankly, when I started 15 years ago, people said, oh, it's not going to work. We don't really need that. Are you sure, you, you know, is this worthwhile? And don't forget, I left in 2017, so I built this in 2010, but then in 2017, I actually left a job of executive vice president of one of the largest medical expertise firms in Canada, which was very high paying, very um, comfortable, I would say, in the sense that it was a company that was very big, very successful, and I was one of the executives, and I could have decided that I was, you know, I was just happy with that. But in 2017, after managing women in governance as a, you know, on the side project for seven years as a volunteer in 2017, the organization just took such a huge um, increase, like such, such visibility because we built a parity certification uh, aiming to close the gender gap in the workplace and 17 major organizations enrolled in 2017. And it was just a pilot project. Um, we had uh, the pro bono support at the time of McKinsey and Company, who helped us, you know, build the questionnaire and and do focus groups with with uh, large companies that were interested in in this um, in the certification. And then, you know, I realized there was no way that I could continue to do this on the side. I had to make it make a choice, either quit my job and do this full time, or hire someone who was going to be the CEO of Women in Governance. Uh, well, I decided to quit my job, and that was at the time where my daughter became a lawyer. And so she said, "Mom, I'm, you know, I'm 
going to do the bar uh, in a few months. I'm leaving the house. I'm moving out. And I just had my son uh, living with me. And I thought, okay, this is the right time to make important decisions, including selling the house, downsizing, to be able to go through, you know, what it is when you launch your own business. You never mm -hmm. know how successful you're going to be. And if you're, am I going to be able to pay myself a salary? Will I be able to have employees? Will I be able to have office space? And, you know, I'm so glad I did this. And I encourage anybody who's asking themselves these questions, can I do it? If you believe you can do it, then you can. And if you believe you cannot do it, then you probably can't. And so you really have to believe in yourself and give yourself a chance to do it. Of course, it's a lot easier when, you, when you've already had great success in your career to take a leap of faith and say, listen, I know where I'm standing right now. I'm able to have, I have got currently the network that will help me uh, attain my objectives. I've got the knowledge. I've got the financial acumen and, and I'm going to do this. And uh, despite the pandemic, the organization continued to grow um, over the past uh, six, uh, six years, I would say now. Um, and uh, it's, it's just so exciting that today there are actually 83 organizations that are enrolled in our certification process. So we went from 17 in 2017 to 83 today. And some of the largest companies in the world are, are in this process, uh, global uh, global organizations such as uh, FedEx or Pfizer or Sanofi or Rio Tinto, uh, a lot of uh, uh, very well-known Quebec uh, organizations like uh, uh, La Caisse de Dépôt or the City of Montreal, the Société de Transport de Montréal. And so we are extremely thrilled to see how uh, organizations are very enthusiastic about this. They want to do the right thing and to appeal to uh, younger generations such as such as you, they know that they're going to have to be very, um, very cognizant of the importance of ESG, of having the right values, of doing the right things, and uh, and I think this has made us more relevant than ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's impressive how like massively successful the organization has has been, and um, you know, so how do you like see that company, uh, that organization evolve in the future, and how do you think it'll uh, change the decision making power uh, of women in the future? Because obviously, there's still a lot of work left to be done. Um, how how far do you see it going? Like how how uh, for for the future of the organization? So we definitely still have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited about 83 organizations, but I'm looking forward to 1,000, 5,000 organizations yeah. uh, doing this process because it needs to become something that is just embedded uh, in, in every organization's annual reviews. They need to make sure that they uh, go through the process to better understand what their positioning is on the gender equality spectrum, what they need to change to be able to attract and retain, promote, mentor, train more women and allow them to get to the top of the house. Because at the end of the day, we don't only look at who is in the decision-making roles. We look at from entry level all the way to the top because we want organization to build a healthy pipeline of female talent. And when you say, you know, we still have a lot of work to do, I wish I could contradict you on this one. I wish I could tell you, well, no, we're there or almost there, but we are so far from being there because today in Canada, if you look at the top 500 companies, uh, well, there are barely 5% of female CEOs. 
So that means there's still 95% of these roles that are occupied by men. So it's a matter of understanding where the obstacles are. And some of the obstacles pertain to the women themselves because they will sometimes um, be shy about wanting a promotion, about believing in themselves, about putting themselves out there, uh, their personal branding, their networking, etc. But in reality, companies also need to put much more emphasis on what they do to attract and retain the women because when we know that when a woman is tapped on the shoulder, let's say, I'll give you the example of going into politics. You know, men, they'll always think that they're the best and that they can do it and they're very comfortable with it. Whereas women need to be asked about on average eight times before they decide that, yes, I'm going to do this. So I think the women need to learn a lot uh, from male attributes, you know, such as being more bold and, 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 and going after what they, what they want and being very vocal. You know, saying, I've accomplished this, I have done that, I am proud of this, and this is what I deserve because I am so good at it. And we tend to, women tend to, and I'm hoping your, you, you know, your generation is going to be a lot more bold and vocal than my generation. But women often of my generation will tend to prefer to work hard and hope that someone is going to notice. And so the men are so good at doing some of these, you know, um, Activities like the, the networking, the, 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 the going after the, 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 after the business or after the contract or after the job or, or, or the promotion, etc. We, you know, the, the, to me, the strongest leader that you can have is the one who can have both attributes. Because women are so good at, uh, with empathy, uh, democratic leadership, they have a very good, they're very good active listeners. They're very detailed. They're very focused. They, they work so hard and they're dedicated. And if they could also take some of these male characteristics uh, in terms of negotiation, in terms of putting themselves out there, well, they'd be the strongest leader out there. I, and I strongly believe in that. And emotional intelligence is also something that is you know, very natural to women and very expected, especially by the younger generation. You know, when I was younger, it was all about IQ. You know, are you the smartest leader? We understand today that is not enough to get you through, uh, you know, being a leader and a sustainable leader either. And what measures can we take to encourage more women to pursue uh, careers in male-dominated industries? So that one is really important to me. Male-dominated industry. So let's think of, let's say, STEM disciplines, right? Um, you know, at Women in Governance, we work with the organizations and we work with women who typically are already in the corporate world through mentoring and governance training programs. But to me, what is really important is actually being able to speak to the women even before then, even when they're still very junior or even when they're still in university and ideally even younger than that when they're at school to make sure that they understand that there is no discipline that should be female dominated or male dominated. And right now, those that are dominated by women are those that are the lowest paying jobs. They're nurses, they're educators, they're, they work in daycares, etc. Uh, that's not where that's not where we want the women. We want them there, but we also want them in STEM disciplines. We want them in operations. We want them in finance. We want them to be in the disciplines where they are going to have an, you know, um, 
a, a stellar career and where they're going to be making money. And if you look at, for instance, the um, tech industry, well, women traditionally in the 1950s and the 1960s, that was dominated by the women. If you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, and if you haven't, you really have to watch that movie. Well, Hidden Figures talk about these women at NASA who uh, helped the men get, you know, get in space. And they were the first, you know, before IBM invented the computer, they were the ones doing the, the, all, all the, the um, calculations. So once men started coming into the, the uh, IT industry, well, women started coming out of it. But women's brains, sometimes they'll say, you know, at daycare, at school, they'll try to direct the little girls towards different disciplines than the little boys. But it's wrong because women's brains are wired absolutely for mathematics and science and engineering. We need to take the unconscious bias out of the equation. We need women to believe in themselves. We need society to stop uh, giving girls directives, you know, saying this is what works for you and sending them to marketing and human resources, communications. No, we need to let them expand their horizons. And I'm actually currently working with the, the Le Regroupement des Jeunes Chambres de Commerce, or is it La Fédération, and I'm sorry if the name, yeah, I think it's called Regroupement des Jeunes Chambres de Commerce du Québec, on a STEM project to talk to uh, young women about the importance of choosing these disciplines. And we're doing a little tour of, uh, it's in Montreal, it's in Sherbrooke, it's in Gatineau, and having these very important conversations so that we have women in male-dominated industries and we also want the men to go into the female-dominated industries because we know the salaries are going to go up. So once the men spend more time being nurses and being daycare um, caregivers, they will be very clear on what their expectations are for for a uh, you know reasonable salary for the work that they provide. So it's a balance we're looking for. 40-60 is the parity zone, and this is what we'd like to see everywhere. We absolutely don't want to have female domination the way that we don't want to have male domination. It's the complementarity of the men and women working together that is going to make our society as strong as can be and our economy as uh, you know successful and thriving as can be. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm, I'm gonna ask you a very like general question. What are some of the significant challenges that you face in your career and how did you overcome them? Well, I think some of the careers that I've faced uh, in my, you know, previous uh, life, I would say, because right now I'm the boss, so I don't have much more, uh, you know, uh, obstacles than the, those that I sort of impose myself or that the that the market will impose on me. But when you work for a company and you have uh, supervisors and, and and managers and you're you're trying to make your, you know, move up the the the, the ladder, there are certain obstacles that I didn't have to face because I'm a very bold person and from a very young age I knew what I wanted and I went after it and I was never shy to go into uh, you know my boss's office and say you know what I heard this job is opening up I'm the best person for it I want the job I want the salary that goes with it and this is the mm -hmm. title and this is the, the these are the advantages that I'd like you to add to my to my salary and etc so for this has not been, you know, much of an obstacle for me. But I, I think the biggest obstacle for me was really the unconscious bias of the people around me. So 
and that comes not only from the men, by the way, the women are also uh, perpetrating this. And the unconscious bias is, for instance, when you are a young woman and you're, um, you're uh, bold and brave and courageous and smart and vocal, etc., you will be considered very differently from a young man who is all these attributes. You will be seen when a man will be called bold or decisive, they'll say that you are abrasive, but we're doing the exact same thing. So I think that was probably one of my biggest struggles. There's also, you, there, there are things that happen during meetings and it is so important. We know when we're having a meeting and we need to get our ideas through, we need to show that we've thought this through and that we've got input for the conversation and that we might be the best person to lead this project or, you know, we've got ideas to, to, to share. Well, there's a few things that happen often. And again, I'm hoping that with your generation, this will not happen because you are much more in tune with these things. But I can tell you that the, the man that I uh, grew up with, uh, th there were, I'll, I'll give you a few examples of, of unconscious bias. Um, there's man interrupting. So when a man interrupts a woman, to sometimes share his own idea or whatever the reason is. It happens so much more than interrupting other men. When a man speaks, everybody listens. When a woman speaks, she gets interrupted all the time. It makes it very difficult to want to get your, your, your point across. There's the heat-peating, and this is very frustrating. So let's say we're in a meeting. So there's Charles, there's George, there's Noah, there's myself, and we're talking, and I say something, Nobody picks it up. You just continue the conversation. And maybe Charles will say the same exact story, the same idea. He'll say, oh, what about we do this? And George and Noah go, oh, wow, that is a wonderful idea. But that's what I had said 15 mm -hmm. minutes ago. Nobody picked it up. So these things are very frustrating. But we, uh, through the other organization that I have co-founded, Synclusive, we offer workshops on unconscious bias where we go into companies and tell them does this happen and everybody looks at us with big eyes yes oh my god it happens all the time and the fact that you talk about it let me tell you the next time then that we're meeting the four of us nobody's going to do this to me because we've realized that oh my goodness okay this is not right and if charles did this well maybe george will say well thanks for highlighting caroline's idea from 15 minutes ago just so to give credit where credit is due otherwise women are just going to sort of turn off right they're mm -hmm. not going to be interested in contributing to uh, to the conversation and the last uh, unconscious bias piece that i want to share is the uh, mansplaining so i'm a gender equality expert this is what i do for a living I'm a well-known figure in that space globally, yet I regularly have men who will come to me and explain to me things about my own industry based on nonsense. And so then I have to explain and I have to defend myself. And they'll say, why did you say this? Because this, that. And they are going just off the top of their heads what they intuitively think is the truth and dismissing my you know, almost 15 years of research on, in that space. You've never seen a woman do that to a man. Go, you know, go up to someone and say, well, I know you are working in artificial intelligence, but let me tell you, blah, 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 blah. No, we, you know, so these yeah. things are obstacles that 
it takes it takes a lot of effort to 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 overcome but it is key and it is essential that we talk about these things very candidly because it's unconscious we do it and we don't realize that we're doing it so i think that that is probably what to me was the the hardest during my my career and uh you know not being taken as seriously as men and this is also a reason why today we often see women getting discouraged during the pandemic a lot of women just left the workforce and they said okay this is too much i have to deal with my kids i have to deal with the house i have to deal with working from home and this is and so they give up men don't have the same um pressure when it comes to work life balance that's that's another big piece that i'm hoping your generation is going to tackle in a very smart fashion and be a lot more involved and not only by taking care of the kids but doing the dishes as well right mm -hmm. But yeah, I completely agree with what you said. I feel like there's a lot of small things that we can adjust in our generation. And I feel like, I mean, I, f I think it's getting better now, but it still can be better always. So I uh, completely agree. And can you share a project or initiative that you're particularly proud of? Well, I would tell you that our certification is definitely what I am the most proud of. Uh, it was an idea that I had in my mind, in, you know, 26. We built our mentoring program in 2015. Okay, and that mentoring program, hundreds of women went through the program, uh, were, you know, were with us for a year and getting all the, the, all the know-how and all the feedback on how to advance your career. And, and then they'd go back into workplaces that had traditionally been built by men, for men, and they'd be frustrated because they'd feel that they have done their, their fair share to see their career advance, and yet they're still stalling at the same place. And this is when I said, okay, I don't think it's the women that need to be fixed. It is the workplace that needs to be fixed. We need to change corporate culture. We need to help companies understand what policies they need to modify, what initiatives they need to implement. And this is how we're going to advance gender equality, not one woman at a time but one company at a time. And because the companies that we work with are for the most part thousands or tens of thousands of employees each, today there's more than 700,000 employees working for an organization that has our parity certification in Canada and in the US. 700,000 people who are positively impacted by the fact that their workplaces are becoming more inclusive. So that to me is definitely, uh, you know, a lifetime achievement to me. This is what I can safely say is, is, is my legacy. Well, it is amazing. So, um, and what advice would you give to young professionals who are just starting their careers? Well, I would say an important element that has helped my career and actually both my kids' careers as well. I have a son who's soon going to be 26. I have a 27-year-old daughter uh, and um, she's a cybersecurity lawyer and he's an entrepreneur. He's in finance, an entrepreneur and, and real estate investor. And one of the things that I think at the beginning of their career is to do a lot of um, a lot of uh, pro bono activities. They were involved in many charitable organizations at a very young age, and so obviously that was through me at the beginning, and then it was their their own doing. And I think that first of all elevates your profile. It is so important that you get known for what you do, 
what you love, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and what you want to contribute to this world. So the easier part for your generation than, than for mine is that social media is everywhere. If you decide to build up your brand, to get known for something, to share on a daily basis on a topic and add your own, you know, it doesn't mean you need to write an article a day. You need to read and share an article or share a clip or share a photo and comment and encourage people comment and this is extremely important for you to become a subject matter expert and when people know you and people see you as a um, as a rainmaker in, in in an industry and it doesn't matter what industry it is you know is it cybersecurity or is it um, gender equality or is it real estate investment whatever it is that you choose to be passionate about be vocal about it get known for it and 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 do do some work in that either in that field or in a nonprofit or in a charitable organization make sure that people get to know you and you are going to learn so much because there are the things that you learn through your own uh, your work day to day and there are the things that you're going to learn sitting on a board sitting on a committee and through the people that that have uh, you know things to bring you yeah, and um, when it comes to um, what's wrong? I'm I'm hearing noises. Well, I'm not sure what that is. You don't hear? I I hear them, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. But um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I was going to ask a question about um, women empowering each other. So, how important do you think it is for uh, women to empower each other in the workplace and uh, you know bring each other up? Oh, I think it is so important. Uh, you know, in, in, in past decades, uh, women were often accused of bringing each other down instead of building each other up. And, and that, to me, is so counterproductive um, and unnecessary. I always, I'm, you know, if, if, any, anybody who follows me on social media knows that one of my missions in life is to highlight the achievement and the success of wonderful women. Whether I know them personally or not, whether it's locally or internationally, I think it is extremely important to put these women in front of, you know, in the spotlight. Make sure everybody knows what they've done and, and, and see them as a model. And uh, every time I have an opportunity, if I'm nominated on a board, if I have any opportunity that I get, I always try to see if I can help other women succeed where I have succeeded before. And this is how we need to position ourselves. This is how we need to show, show up because it's just not going to yield any good results if women are, you know. But I honestly think we're not where we used to be. I think we've advanced so much on that topic. I think women are now very comfortable with the fact that there is space for everyone originally it came from that right the women thought oh my i need to make sure i'm the woman who makes it yeah now understand that we can all there's room for everyone we can all make it together and let's elevate each other and um the ceo of um woman of influence who's a good friend she's going to be our master of ceremonies for our gala in toronto on May 9th, and she actually wrote a piece called The Tall Poppy Syndrome, quite interesting, where she speaks about the fact that we need to, you know, when somebody, you know, the poppies are all the same height, and when there's a poppy that's taller, we 
tend to want to, you know, cut it down. And that's, that's the exact opposite that should happen. We need to all be behind that one person who goes up and, and praise her. And, and, and she needs to pull up the others that are hoping to also reach these levels. Mm -hmm. I, I do believe that like the world is competitive, but you shouldn't bring anyone down just because they've surpassed you in any way. And I feel like with social media as well, um, it, it has helped a lot, uh, you know, with, like you said, with comments and posting about uh, like your experiences in terms of discrimination and all that women can support each other that way. So uh, yeah, I completely agree. Exactly. In your opinion, what is the key to achieve gender equality and what can companies and organizations do to promote diversity and inclusivity in the workplace? Well, diversity is a fact, right? It's around us everywhere. And inclusion is a choice. It's a deliberate choice. You actually don't only want to say this is a workplace where we uh, welcome the women, we welcome the underrepresented groups, the LGBTQ, the BIPOC, uh, the people with disabilities, etc. That's one thing. But once they are within the organization, if your policies are not inclusive, if your culture is not inclusive, these people are not going to feel welcome. They're going to want to leave. So there are a lot of things that organizations can do to make sure that these people feel welcome and want to stay. And the reason why you don't want them to say, there was a time when I was much younger where we used to say, is this person going to fit? Is this person the right fit for the department, for the team, for the organization? Today, we understand that diversity brings actually a healthy level of disruption to the status quo. And this is how you have more innovation, you have more employee engagement, you have better, uh, more robust decision-making, you have better market penetration, and overall, better financial performance. So when organizations say that they wanna close the gender gap in the workplace, for instance, and if they haven't done uh, women in governance's parity certification, that's an example, they could use different tools, but if they haven't measured the gaps and they don't know what their magnitudes are or what their root causes are, there's no way that they can actually close the gender gaps. So they have to first really take the time to do this audit to better understand where they stand on this gender parity spectrum. After that, when we certify an organization, they will receive a very detailed report with comprehensive data about their results about uh, recommendations, best practices, benchmarking, and the goal is for them to continue to progress year after year. So they will come back, and this is how our cohorts grow, right? From 17 to 83 is that most organization, you know, about 90% re remain year after year and recertify and progress, you know, for the most part. And that's what we want to see. Mm -hmm. Well, um. Yeah, th thank you for that. Um, we really appreciate appreciate you being here. We're gonna end off this episode with uh, our last question. So, um, throughout your career, you know, you've worked with many different people and have had a lot of experiences with those people. Is there anyone in particular um, who's had a significant impact on your work, and what qualities or traits did they possess that made them such a valuable or inspiring colleague to work with? Well, here's my 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 answer to everyone who always says, is there one person who inspired you? Did you have a mentor? Did someone, you know, change your life? My answer is there's not one person that I could name and mm -hmm. say, well, thanks to that person. But what I can tell you is that I've always surrounded myself by 
when I called my advisory board, my personal advisory board, and these people were extremely different from each other. I had women, I had men, I had people from different generations, I had people in different fields. And these were people that I trusted. These were people that I built lasting relationships with. For the most part, they're people that I've met 25 years ago that are still in my life today. Mm -hmm. And that have, you know, um, all in common, the fact that they're successful and the fact that they're uh, um, generous and uh, the fact that they believe in what I do and who I am. And uh, this has really been uh, the most, I think, the, 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 the best safety net ever because I never felt like I was making decisions on my own. I always consulted. I always took feedback. Sometimes it was feedback I did not want to hear. Sometimes I was, you know, I disagreed with what they had to say. And then I think it through. And either I would say, okay, you're right. Thank you for this. I'm going to take it into account. Sometimes it happened where I said, you know what? I disagree. Let's agree to disagree. But I'm still doing this or not doing this. Or, And, and, and overall, this has been the best ride because it's, it's helped me take chances. It's helped me achieve and surpass targets and, uh, and build friendships. And these are people that have always been there, that will always be there. And it's a two-way street. And this is the interesting part. I love my favorite people are the people who believed in me before I had a name, mm -hmm. before, you know, I became someone who who was, you know, well-respected re and well-recognized in, in, in the public eye. There was a time where I had these ideas and and those people who were very influential very busy and said yeah i'll listen to what you have to say I, I i like you and it all starts there right people need to like you people need to trust you and then if you have an interesting idea and they feel like you are someone who's going to have an impact and that you are generous yourself right because there's always someone else that we can help maybe not the people who helped me directly but there's also things that they've learned from me. And there are so many people who said to me, thank you for all that I've learned through this journey. And I think, really? You've learned something from me? Oh, wow. You know, that feels mm -hmm. so good. Um, and, and so it goes both ways. And I've also learned a lot from the people that I've been mentors for. Uh, you know, much younger mentees who've brought to me a different perspective and helped me discover new things. So definitely always be on the lookout Always make sure you have a mentor, a sponsor, uh, an advisory committee around you, people that you trust and that you can uh, run ideas uh, and, and brainstorm with. Well, thank you for being here today. Um, George and I uh, had a really great time. We learned a lot from you um, and we really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, uh, really, again, appreciate it for being here, taking your time. So. Uh, Thank you for everyone watching. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thank you so much. It was a